Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. So I, I'm doing okay, thank you. So I saw, I saw some breaking news this morning. Uh, it turns out, or it seems, that Jerry Jones has agreed to sell the Cowboys uh, for just a dollar. He figured that's the only way he's ever going to see a full four quarters from them. <laughs> now let me say, that is more dangerous than you know because... My sound guy up there loves the Cowboys, so if I cut out. <laughs> okay, so thank you. So as you saw from the bumper, we are starting a new series called Upside Down. Because when we look at the world, to us, everything obviously looks upside down. But, but to the world, they are saying that's right side up. But Jesus said, hey, listen. What the world does, that doesn't matter. What you do, that's what matters. And so you are called to live upside down. You're called to live differently. You're called to show who he is every single day. And so in this series, we're going to talk about the ways that he's called us to live in an upside down way. And so I'm going to start with uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there, uh, is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So if you look at the scripture... On the first slide of it, uh, I think that I did the quote. So when Jesus said this, and you look in the Bible, he quotes, love your neighbor, because that comes from Scripture. And he's saying, hey, this comes from Scripture. But the next part isn't in quotes, because hate your enemy was never in Scripture, and yet people added it because of the way they acted, because of what they wanted, because it didn't specifically say don't hate. So people are like, well, that's good. I can do this. It just says love your neighbor. It just says do that. And people always kind of look for a way out of things. They look for a way to come up short. They look for the shortest line. And so the word that he uses for love your enemies, uh, there are four types of Greek love, basically, four words that you probably heard before. Uh, and so if he'd used a couple of these, it's like, well, that makes sense. So like uh, philia is brotherly love. And it's like, well, I get that because, you know, brotherly love, we can kind of joke around. I can joke around with my enemies. It's okay. We can talk about sports a little bit, you know. And then I don't have to always talk to him. I don't have to worry about him. But, you know, brotherly love. If it's storge, that's like family love. And it's like, well, you know, I love my family as long as they're at a distance. And so I can do that. I can do that. And, you know, we can once a year talk or something. I love my family. That was separate. Uh, Eros is romantic. We move past that one. And so the word that he uses, though, the word that he uses is agape. Agape. And that means unconditional love. And that is the exact same word that he uses when he says love God. So he is saying, love your enemies unconditionally. Love your enemies with the exact same love that God loves you. With the exact same love that you love God. And that is such a crazy, impossible thing to live up to. It's like, how do I do that? How in the world do I have that love? I love God. He does everything for me. But how can I love someone? who doesn't love me back? How can I love someone who I disagree with? How can I love someone who's annoying? I guess we could go back to family love for that, but we're not going <laughs> to. 
And Jesus knew. Jesus was brilliant on top of being the Savior, on top of being the Messiah, on top of being the Son of God, on top of being fully human and fully divine. He was also brilliant in the things that he said and the things that he knew. And so he knew that we would have enemies. He knew that, that not everybody's going to like us. In fact, he specifically says that. And he knew we'd have difficult times. He knew it would be hard. He knew all of this. But in his words, he goes beyond just, don't retaliate. And he even goes beyond just, don't hate. He literally says love. And it's such a big command. And then he goes on to say, hey, if you want to call yourself a child of God, you got to look at what God does. And God, he loves everyone the same. Even if they don't love him, he pours rain down on everyone. He has the sunlight for everyone. And then you look at Jesus. He died for everyone before they were Christians. He died so that we'd have that choice, so everyone would have that choice. That is complete and total love. And he's like, hey, you got to look at this, guys. It is so easy, mostly, to love the people that love us. Because they give us gifts, or they laugh at our jokes, or they say nice things, or they're there when we need them. And so it's easy to love them. It's easy to be there, but he says, hey, everybody does that. Even tax collectors do that. Do you guys want to be like the IRS? Come on. I hope nobody here works for the IRS. I also hope the IRS isn't listening. I pay my taxes. But we are called... Not to be like everybody else. We are called to be different. We're called to live upside down. We're called to go beyond for Jesus, with Jesus, like Jesus. And we claim to have something more. We claim to have the answers. We claim to have the solution. We claim to have the love of Christ. So we have to show it. We have to show that reason. We have to show the better future. We have to show all of that. And we look at Jesus Jesus would never slander another person. Jesus would never spread malicious gossip. Jesus would never hate. He would never speak evil. But again, it seems impossible, especially in football season. It seems impossible because it's like, how? How can I do this? How can I possibly do this? Well, I have a quote, and this is from someone I've spoken about before, Corey Tinboom. And she says, when he tells us to love our enemies... He gives, along with the command, the love itself. Now, I've spoken about Corey before. Uh, she was the only survivor from her family in a concentration camp. No one, no one would have blamed her for minimum not liking other people, just separating herself and being like, I'm going to live my life. Nobody would have blamed her because that is beyond anything we can imagine. And yet she started a ministry for people that also survived. She started a ministry of saying, we've got to forgive. We've got to love. We've got to do that. And this is so smart because we always kind of think, well, I'm called to do this. It's so hard. But Jesus never says, hey, go do this. And then come back to me in six months and we'll talk. He says, go do this. And I'm going to literally tell you and give you the love to do that. And that's how she did it. On her own, she couldn't have. But, but she was able to show love. She was able to look at her life of suffering, of tragedy. And she saw even more of a connection to God. And she found within her the love that he gave her. And that's what we can find too. And I want to go to 1 John 
chapter 3, verses 15 through 24. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need and shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? It is harsh words to say, if you don't love your enemies, if you don't love other people, if you hate other people, then you're a murderer. Because we can see like the giant gap between actually hate and murdering somebody. But he's saying that because A, Jesus said it. But B, in our hearts, it's the same thing. If you hate someone and you allow yourself to go down that path of hatred, you've already murdered them in your hearts. Now you may not go through with the action. But that doesn't go away. And in some ways it can even be worse because you just, every time you see them, you feel a surge of that hatred. You feel anger. You feel just a lack of empathy. You feel all of that. Because in the heart, there's no difference. I watch a lot of movies. This isn't just a random thing I say. Uh, I recently watched Rainmaker, which is one of Matt Damon's first movies. Uh, it's about he comes out of law school and he becomes a lawyer. And, and in his first case, he goes against John Voight, uh, who is the quintessential bad lawyer. And so as he's going through it, he realizes all of the compromises that John Voight makes and just how he cheats and lies and steals and all that stuff. And he, he sees himself going down that path. And he even says at one point, like, do you remember when you made that first compromise? And at the end of the movie, he quits law and he goes off because he just cannot handle it. And I bring that up because I think the vast majority of people never intend to hate especially Christians. We never intend to hate, but it starts with somebody's opinion, or it starts with the way somebody votes, or it starts with a politician, or it starts with a celebrity, or it starts with just somebody cutting you off on the road. And we allow that to happen. And then it creeps up, and it creeps up. And before we know it, we have hatred in our hearts. It's never something that you decide to do. Being a Christian is more than just saying you're a Christian. Being the church is more than just saying you're the church. It's actually doing it. It's actually showing it. Now, we're still human, all of us, unless there are androids that I don't know about. But we are still human. And so we get caught up in so many human things. We get caught up in, in my side versus your side. We get caught up in my politics versus your politics. We get caught up in, in what I think versus what you think. We get caught up in all of this. Well, I have another quote. This is from a president of the United States of America, Abraham Lincoln. I assume you've heard of him. If not, Fish will give you a lesson afterwards. <laughs> my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side because God is always right. He presided over the country at an incredibly difficult time. We see a divisiveness now. There was a literal divisiveness when he was the president, and the South had seceded, and there was war coming and war going on and all of this awful thing. But he still recognized that he was to be the president, not just of the people that liked him, not just of the people that he liked, but of everybody. And he was by no means perfect. 
But instead of getting caught up in sides, instead of getting caught up in what others thought, he said, I got to pay attention to be like God. I can't make God like me. We want to be right. And as someone who's always right, I get it. We want to be right. But listen, being right is not more important than living right. It's never more important than living right. And sometimes, sometimes we can get in such a heated argument. And I will tell you, like, election time, I stay away from all social media. And it's often not because of what the world says, but because of how Christians sometimes act in in their posts and what they say and how angry they get. And, And sometimes we just want to win. We want to be right. And we can win the argument and lose not only the other person's soul, but chip away at our own. And chip away at how we see Jesus and what we do. And it moves towards hate. We know what love is because Jesus gave up his life, not just on the cross, but literally every single day he gave up his life for the Pharisees that hated him, for the the, the disciples who betrayed him, for the people who threw rocks. He gave up his life for each of them by living in love, by living in truth, by living as who he said he was. And I tell you this, Jesus could have won every single argument he had. He never lost an argument, but he could have shut down every Pharisee. Because not only did he know the scripture, he was the scripture. And so he could have ended all of that, and he could have shut him down. He could have made him feel worthless. He could have stopped everything. He could have absolutely stopped Judas. But he chose to be an example for us on how to live. He chose to love. He chose to to show the truth. Because love is not merely something that is felt. It is something that is shown. It, It is something that is demonstrated. It is something that is proven over and over again. And the Greek term for lay down your lives, it can mean literal, but it also just means sacrifice. Sacrificing our comfort, sacrificing, you know, our humanness, humanity, I guess is the word, to show love, to piece by piece, be like Jesus, to step by step, be like Jesus, to daily show that love, show that truth, show that life. I want to go to verse 18. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence, and we'll receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. It is remarkably easy to say, I love you. Although it can also be hard, depending on the situation. But it's easy to just say the words, especially if you don't mean them. It's easy to say it. It's easy to to, to pretend. It's easy to fool other people. Sometimes it's even easy to fool yourself. But God sees our hearts. And he sees through all of that, and he knows what we really feel. And, And when John here is talking about guilt... It can mean that he's talking about the fact that we haven't truly shown love, that we're just going through the motions. It it can mean a reluctance. And I think this is the big one, a reluctance. Because we're afraid that if we love someone, 
who is our enemy. Love someone who doesn't like us. Love someone who is different than us. Then we're saying they're right. We're saying that, that they're right. But that's not what it's saying. It's just saying, I am so assured with the fact that God is right that I love you no matter what. That I love you no matter what. That I am there and I love you and I pray for you. It means that God is greater than our feelings. God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than everything. And that he is in us, giving us that love, helping us. And we see, again, the example from Jesus. Because one of my favorite passages in Scripture, even though it's gross because feet are gross, is when he washes the feet of the disciples. And I tell you this, all of the disciples had their feet washed, including Judas, who Jesus already knew had betrayed him. And yet Jesus showed him love. He showed love to someone who was essentially murdering him. He showed love to someone who would run away and deny him. He showed love to every single one of them, every single person that he met. He showed love to Pharisees. And his love in us can overcome anything. It can help us to heal. It can help us to grow. But we have to look at people not as opinions, not as them, but as people, as real live people. Because I will tell you this, no one wakes up in the morning and thinks, you know what, I'm going to base all of my beliefs and my opinions over what will annoy someone else the most. They just have those beliefs, right or wrong, they have those beliefs, and yet we treat it like that's what they do. We treat it like they're just shooting at us and all of that, but it just means they're people. It doesn't mean that loving them means they're right. Again, it means that we know so clearly that we're right, that we build that relationship, that we show that love, that we pray for them, that we hope, that we help them, that we do what is right, and we help others to feel love. I have one more quote. Ignorance breeds fear. If you don't keep that fear in check, that fear will breed hatred. If you don't keep that hatred in check, it will be, breed destruction. Just leave that up for a second. Ignorance isn't a bad word. We turn it into a bad word. But ignorance, just ignorance, means that you don't know something about something. Uh, I don't know anything about NASCAR, for example, or gardening, or farming, or lots of stuff, apparently. And so I'm ignorant of those things. That's not an insult to me. It just means, hey, I don't know it yet. However, willful ignorance of what someone else is going through, willful, willful ignorance, it's hard to say, of someone else is on that path of bad stuff. Because when we don't know about something, when we don't understand something, it leads to fear. And fear is something everyone feels at different times, but when we build on that fear, when we allow that fear to fester, when we allow it to grow, that goes to hatred. And we think it stops there because we know hatred is bad, but when we allow that hatred to go, when we allow that hatred to run rampant, it leads to destruction, not just of the people that we hate, often rarely the people that we hate, but of ourselves of what we hold dear. It leads to destruction. It leads to awful things. Now, I want to talk about this man for a second. Daryl Davis said that quote. Uh, he was a blues musician. 
And about 40 years ago or so, uh, he was playing a set. See, I know some music stuff. You proud of me, Jim? A set. And so he played, and this guy comes up to him after. And he's just, you know, your typical uh, farmer type guy, and he comes in, and he's like, hey. And you can t- he, Daryl could tell that he's kind of tentative about talking to him. He's like, that, that was actually good. And the way he said it, you know, it came out like that, but he wasn't intending it as an insult. And Daryl's like, well, well, thanks, you know. He's like, let's sit down and talk. And the guy kind of hesitated, but he sat down and talked with him. And so they start talking, and, and he goes on. And through the conversation, it becomes very clear that he's in the Ku Klux Klan. Now, just like Corey, no one would have blamed Daryl from getting up from that table and walking away because, for one, that's an awful thing. But for two, his life was in danger of being there. And yet, he sat there and he talked. And, and even though he knew that that guy was wrong, He showed him love, and he listened, and he tried to to learn about him. And then he went from there, and again, it could have ended there, and he would have had this awesome story. We're like, man, I talked to somebody in the KKK, and and I lived through it, and and I showed them love. And people would have been like, wow, that's awesome. But that changed his life, because from there, he did everything he could to learn about that, to learn about their stereotypes, to learn about what drives them into that, to learn about the people that were in that group, to learn about all of it. He studied the history, studied everything. He went well beyond what was expected of him or what most would do. Next picture. That is a grand chairman of the KKK that he's standing there with. Because for the rest of his life, he went to individuals, he went to groups, he went to to a couple people, he went to everybody that he knew was involved with the KKK. And he talked to them. These are people who did not think he was a person. And over the course of his life so far, he has converted over 200 KKK members. They have given up their robes. They've given up their hatred. They've laid it all down because he talked to them and listened to them. And showed them love even though they absolutely did not deserve it. And they wouldn't have done it if it were reversed. And he literally put his life in danger every single step of the way. Because especially in the 70s, anything could have happened. And yet he kept doing it because he felt a deeper calling. He felt a reason. And he had an impact. And man, that had to be such an uphill climb. Because like I said, they didn't even see him as a person. So he had to force his way into talk. And then he showed such love, such understanding, such hope for people that, again, did not deserve it. And he absolutely wasn't saying, you guys are right, because they weren't. But he said, I serve something bigger than this. And so he put his life on the line every step of the way for people who didn't see him as a person. Sometimes, guys, we can't even smile at something. We can't even listen. We can't even talk sometimes. We are called for more. We are called to be more. One more part of scripture here. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. 
Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gives lives in us all. This does not say, this does not say we must believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ or love one another. It does not say we must believe in Jesus and when it feels right, when it's good, when we're happy, then love one another. It says very clearly, we must always do both. We must always exhibit both. We must always exemplify both. We must always show both. And a command is not a suggestion. And Jesus and John, John from Jesus, very clearly said, this is my command. You must love one another. And we look at it, and it's like, well, well why? Because they don't deserve it? Well, you know, you can go into the fact that we don't deserve it. But it's also for us. It's also because the more we show fear, the more we show hatred, the more we show anger, the more it chips away at us. And that leads down a path that goes away from God. And we have amazing examples in the Bible of people like Solomon, people like Jonah, who started out so strong, but allowed other things to chip away at who they were. And they decided they knew best. And they turned from God. To believe in the name of Jesus means that he's your Lord. It means that you follow him. It means you recognize he's your Savior. It means you recognize he is all there is. And you build your life around him. One of the things I talk about a lot to the teens is you build your identity around him. And then to love one another. Again, agape. Doesn't mean that we think everybody's right. It doesn't mean we agree with everybody. It means that we love them. It means that we don't hate them. It means that we don't spread things about them. It means that we put Jesus first. Not just in our lives, but in how we treat other people. Corey Ten Boom was shown such hatred beyond anything any of us will ever experience. Honestly, beyond anything anyone other than Jesus experienced, probably. And yet, she continued to show love. She didn't go around saying, hey, the Nazis were right, because they weren't. But she said, I will be forgiving, I will be loving, I will be different. Daryl Davis put his life on the line going up to people who would have spit on him if he were hurting and he showed them more love and understanding than is imaginable an impossible level and it changed lives We are called to do that. We have our opinions, and that's awesome. We have what the truth is, and that's good. I don't know what's happening. But we also have the love of Christ. And our command is to take that assurance and to walk out into the world and show it to every single person person there.
regardless of anything else. Because we are shown much more love than we deserve by a perfect Christ. And he told us, hey, I am going to call you to do this and then I'm going to empower you to do this and then we go and we do it. That's all I got.